please be advised all music tracks used in this production are sole property of Kelson Communications and our original compositions. Thank you. Hey, it's Skiri Jones, executive producer of Elvis Duran and the Morning Show on Z100. I want to talk to you all about my friend and fellow Brooklyn College alumnus, Silas. Your e-journalist, social work advocate, Silas hosts and produces the award-winning Kelson On The Air social work podcast. My friend and fellow BCR alum is now known nationally and internationally as Silas, your e-journalist, social work advocate, his podcast. It's also listed as one of the top social work podcasts. You must follow the award-winning Kelson On The Air social work podcast. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Hello, travelers. We'd like to introduce you to Hop-In Bus Service, LLC, founded in 2018. Our goal is to provide people across the U.S., with world-class travel and tourism services. Our expertise allows us to offer our customers the best deals. We've built a reputation on tailoring our services to meet your needs. We specialize in motor coach buses and party buses. We offer clean vehicles and professional drivers for your next trip or occasion. Our passion is safe traveling. We're a contract carrier licensed to operate in all 48 states. We believe in providing a personal touch beyond just making your next charter bus or party bus reservation. You can book us today for your next amusement park, casino, or family reunion trip. We can handle all of your transportation needs like corporate events, weddings, or proms. We're committed to making travel easy for you. For a free quote today, call 833-774-6746. That's 833-774-6746. And remember, don't just stand there, hop in. Hello and welcome to all our listeners and viewers. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate, producer and host of the award-winning Kelson on the Air social work podcast, available wherever you get your podcast. Our podcast is rated internationally as one of the 40 best social work podcasts you must follow in 2023. This podcast promotes, celebrates, uplifts, and highlights the social work profession. Our aim is to educate the general public about the powerful impact social workers have on the lives of those they serve. The podcast will also amplify the vital contributions professional social workers make in every aspect of our society every day. Dr. Jonathan B. Singer would like to thank and acknowledge the following organizations for their sponsorship support. Stony Brook Medicine for being the keynote sponsor, the Association for Mental Health and Wellness, and the Response Crisis Center. Thank you to one and all. Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate, host of the award-winning Kelson on the Air social work podcast. And boy, am I excited today. I have a very, very special guest joining me today. And he is, and I'm going to give him props and give him honor. I'm going to call him the godfather of social work podcast, Dr. Jonathan B. Singer, professor at Loyola College in Chicago. And he is the first social worker on the planet to produce a podcast about social workers to assist and educate other social workers. So I wanted to start out by saying that. So now I'm going to tell you a little bit about him, and then I'm going to let Dr. Singer talk to us about some really exciting things coming up. And he's a published author. He's going to tell you about that too. So we're we're talking today with Dr. Jonathan B. Singer, He has his PhD and he's a licensed clinical social worker. He's also an internationally recognized expert in youth suicide and social work technology. 
He is a professor of social work at Loyola University in Chicago, past president of the American Association of Suicidology, and he's the co-author of two editions of the best-selling text, Suicide in Schools, A Practitioner's Guide to Multi-Level Prevention, Assessment, Intervention, and Postvention. Co-lead of the Social Work Grand Challenge, Harness Technology for Social Good, and founder and host of the award-winning Social Work Podcast, for which he was named recently Social Work Pioneer in 2023. He has chaired the National Committee's for NASW and that is the National Association of Social Workers and CSWE, the Council on Social Work Education and served on youth advisory boards for Sandy Hook Promise, the JED Foundation, Suicide Prevention Resource Center and the National Suicide Prevention 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. He is the author of over 90 publications and his research has been featured in national and international media outlets like NPR, BBC, Fox, Time Magazine, and The Guardian. He lives in Evanston, Illinois, with his wife and three children, and can be found on X, which is formerly Twitter, and as at Social Work Podcast and Facebook at facebook.com front slash SW Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my distinct pleasure to introduce to some and present to others my outstanding guest for today, Dr. Jonathan B. Singer. Dr. Singer, welcome to the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast. Well, Silas, thank you so much. It is an honor and a pleasure to be here. Um, appreciate all those kind of things you were saying about me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Absolutely. So we're going to jump right in. I want to say to all our listeners and viewers, and again, this podcast is available on Spotify and all audio podcast channels, such as Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, YouTube, it's for video YouTube and for Spotify video as well. So wherever you get your podcast, either video, YouTube and Spotify or any audio uh, channel, you can find the Kelson on the Social Work Podcast. And so I'm gonna say to all of you, December 13th, Dr. Singer, will be out at Stony Brook University in Long Island, New York, doing an all-day youth suicide prevention workshop. It's entitled, Building a World Worth Living In. Uh, give our listeners and viewers, especially those that are here in the New York Tristate area, uh, information about the workshop on the 13th and you know uh, so how they can register. Uh, if you have that available, it'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so on December 13th, I'm going to be at the uh, Stony Brook University Student Activity Center, and I'm giving this uh, three-part workshop from nine to five. And at five o'clock, there's going to be this reception and book signing. Um, <clears throat> if you go to um, uh, uh, Response Crisis Center, um, if you Google, you can Google Jonathan Singer Stony Brook, and it'll pop up. Uh, and there's a registration page uh, through events, um, and you can sign up there. Uh, you can also go to suicideinschools.com. I have a speaking, you know, page, uh, and that's one of the events. You can click on that and go go directly there. Um, and it would be great to see folks. Uh, if you if you're if you show up on the 13th because you heard this, please let me know. Please come up and say, hey, I heard about it. And I wanted to come on by. That would be fabulous. It'd be great to meet you. I want to say, Dr. Singer, this is a great topic to be discussing, especially at a time like this. Uh, what can attendees expect to gain from their attendance? 
Yeah, thanks, Silas. So at the December 13th workshop, I'm going to be presenting three different topics. The first one, I'm going to be talking about family-based interventions for suicidal youth. I'm going to be focusing on attachment-based family therapy, which is an empirically supported, uh, trauma-informed, uh, emotion-focused family-based therapy that has been shown to reduce suicidal ideation in youth. And that's going to be the first part. Um, I'm going to be doing uh, kind of a fireside chat in the second part where we are going to be talking about the role of social media in youth suicide. And we're also going to be diving into the role of generative AI, artificial intelligence, algorithms, things like that in the field of suicide prevention and mental health more broadly. And then the third part is what we're calling kind of a closing keynote where I'm going to be talking about best practice uh, prevention and intervention strategies for um, K through 12, as well as universities to address suicide prevention, intervention, and what to do after somebody dies by suicide. And that's called postvention. So these three things are happening during that day. After the conference is over, there is a reception and a book signing. And it is going to be the very first place that I will ever have signed um, the second edition of my best-selling text, Suicide in Schools, A Practitioner's Guide. Wow, wow. So you you covered a lot of interesting and, and very informative topics um, that you're going to be introducing to the, to the listeners um, and the attendees. Um, can you just do me a favor? Could you go back to that very first um, part that you talked about? And, and maybe for our, our listeners that are not as well-versed, can you kind of like stretch that out a little bit and kind of really explain in detail, a little bit of detail what that means. Yeah, Please. absolutely. So when you're working with a kid that's suicidal, you're always working with a family, whether that kid is physically present in a family, whether they've been removed from the home, they're still family present, right? Um, the ghost of their parents, the physical parents, maybe foster families, right? We have to think about how do you work with a kid who is thinking maybe this world doesn't want me around. Maybe I don't mm. have a place in this world. And we know one of the most important places for kids is family. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, how do we address this concern, this fear, this, this anger associated with not feeling connected to or supported by family? Um, and how do we help parents who are thinking, I'm a great parent, but actually I don't really know what to do with a kid who's suicidal, or I don't know that, what I did um, is being helpful. Now, I just want to be clear. This is not a workshop that blames parents. There are lots of reasons why kids might want to end their lives. It could be bullying, could be things going on online, could be uh, longstanding mental health issues, eating uh, disorders, could be trauma, lots of things, right? We're not blaming parents. But what we are saying is that um, if suicide is the problem, family is the solution. Mm. And, and, and so what we do in this and what attachment-based family therapy does is it says, let's take a planful, methodical approach to understanding what keeps a kid from being able to go to their parents when they're having thoughts of suicide. Mm. And that issue right there, if you're able to draw it out, if you're able to pull it back together 
tie up those loose ends, and be able to facilitate a conversation between the parent and the child about, hey, you know what, mom? This is one of the reasons why it's hard for me to go to you when I'm Mm. suicidal. And then to have the parent say, you know what? It totally makes sense. Can you tell me more about that? Mm. That conversation in and of itself is healing. And then you can go on and talk about times that the kid's suicidal. And then once you're comfortable talking about that, you can talk about anything. Hey, mom, I don't want to, I don't want to be on the sports team anymore. Hey, you know, I said that I was going to do this at church. I've decided I don't want to do it anymore. Right. I, 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 I want to get my driver's license and I want you to buy me a car. How's that going to happen? Right. Whatever it is that a kid might feel like they can't talk to their parent about, and the parent doesn't feel like they know how to respond. Attachment based family therapy provides a, a pathway for that. Wow. Wow. Okay. Thank you for for laying that out for, for our listeners. Um, and for those of you that are going to be attending, uh, please make sure you um, take notes because this is going to be very, very inf- uh, informative. So you, it, it's obvious, Dr. Dr. Singer, you have a strong interest in addressing youth suicide prevention. How did this all evolve in, in your career path? Yeah. So uh, if we if we go all the way back to high school, so in the mid 80s, uh, I grew up in Alexandria, Virginia. I went to T.C. Williams High School. Your, some of your viewer, uh, listeners, viewers might uh, have heard of T.C. Williams. It was the high school in Remember the Titans. Um, and Denzel Washington's character, Coach Boone. Uh, mm-hmm. Coach Boone was actually my driver's ed coach in real life. Um, uh, he, he was not he was not like Denzel, but that's another story. Um, so I went to TC Williams and in high school, we put on the play Ordinary People, which is, uh, it was an Academy Award winning movie in 1980. Um, it had been a book before then, and it was about a family who was torn apart when an older brother dies in a boating accident and his younger brother, um, who was in the boat, uh, was grief stricken and attempt suicide in the family's bathroom. So we put on this play and it was really the first time that I had been clued in to what the dynamics were around suicide attempts and families and how kids were treated in school and and inpatient therapy. Then you fast forward until I get to uh, my MSW program at UT Austin. And when I graduated, like most social workers, I was looking for a job and like many places in the country, the place that was hiring was a crisis unit, right? Um, people come and go from crisis units. They're always looking for relief workers. And, um, and so I started working with suicidal, homicidal, and actively psychotic youth. I was trained in how to do suicide risk assessment. And I quickly learned that all of the skills that I had learned in my MSW program, all of the the, the training that I had about how to be present with somebody, how to about, think about information, how to include stuff from, from all the different systems and levels in a person's life, all of that came together in these crisis interventions. And, and I also learned that a lot of my classmates and a lot of my colleagues out in the field were scared of doing suicide risk assessments. They were like, oh man, suicidal kids, definitely, that's terrifying. And so I started doing workshops and I was like, you can do that. You have these skills. There are a couple of questions. It's good to be able to ask them in the right way. You know, you want to be able to use words that aren't going to be offensive, but basically what, what you're doing here is social work. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I did that. Um, 
when when 9-11 happened, a uh, coworker of mine, Nate Havlick and I, we created a crisis intervention syllabus um, that focused a lot on how to work with suicidal folks. And we proposed to UT Austin that they they offer it. And a couple of years later, they took me up on it. And I and I taught the class. And from there, I went on to decide to go back and get my PhD and focus on how to best work with families of suicidal kids. Very interesting. Very interesting. Now, um, social workers are, are very intricately um, involved in working with youth and families. But I, I want I want you to share with our listeners, in your opinion, why why are social workers uniquely prepared to address the critical issue of youth suicide prevention? I think social workers are critically prepared uh, to work with suicidal youth for multiple reasons. One of which is because in the graduate education of a social worker, you take classes in groups. You take classes in family, you learn individual assessment, you think about the relationship between um, local, state, and federal policy, and what's happening in the office. So if, if, um, if there's policy that says, you know what, um, we're, we're no longer going to reimburse for this service, then as a social worker, you know that that has an effect on the services that people get you know that something might be happening locally around an issue um, that might reinforce the idea that maybe this town doesn't actually care that much about this person or the community that this person is part of, right? So that, that way of thinking systemically, that way of thinking um, about multiple different modalities, individual group, family, et cetera, et cetera, all of that is part of social work education and if you're able to think about that, then you're going to be able to do a much better job working with somebody who's suicidal because you actually have to tackle all of that in order to do effective suicide prevention. Hey, thank you. Thank you for that. Now, you you, you mentioned the term post-vention. So yeah. that, that's got to be a really difficult time. And it's a de delicate subject, especially for the family members would be it be it the parents, maybe the grandparents, maybe even the the, the siblings. So, how is post postvention uh, applied delicately? Yeah, well, and delicately is a really important word, and I'm glad that you used it. Um, uh, somebody that I uh, uh, was very um, honored to know. Uh, a, a two-spirit elder who's now an ancestor, Shade Heart of Vahak Ali. Um, she once shared with me the idea that when you um, when you step into a cultural bubble, you want to make sure you don't break it. And mm. cultural bubbles exist in lots of different areas, but perhaps nowhere more frequently than when it comes to death. And postvention is how to respond to communities after somebody that has died. And we know that religion and faith communities um, uh, grew up around trying to understand death, right? That these ideas of theology, ideas of what's our purpose here, where do we go afterwards, all of these things are, are trying to 
help people understand what's happening um, and how to cope with the loss. So when we do postvention, it's really important that we have done the work in advance to make sure that the community, the providers um, are trained in understanding cultural differences in grief and loss to understand what it is that might be happening. Like for example, I'm Jewish, right? So, so the first seven days after somebody dies, we sit Shiva. There's a seven day period. There's also a 30 day period and there's a year long period. Well, if, if there's a Jewish student in a school and let's say that, um, that the kid's uh, older sibling dies by suicide, they're gonna be out for seven days sitting Shiva. If the school is engaged in postvention activities for exactly one week after the death, and then they go back to business as usual, guess who misses out on that? The sibling, right? There, there's a disconnect between good intentions of the school and perhaps one of the people that would most benefit from that kind of addressing the grief and loss mm. and suicide prevention that happens in postvention activities. Now, that's just one minor example, but the, the point is that when you're doing postvention, you're addressing grief and loss associated with a suicide death, and simultaneously you're doing prevention work to reduce the likelihood that somebody who's bereaved by suicide will see their own suicide death as the best way to address those feelings of sadness that they're having. Okay, all right. Um, it's good good for our listeners to, to, to understand that. Uh, now, you, you, you've got, you've co-authored two texts. The most recent one was released just yesterday for all our listeners and viewers. Talk to us a little bit about the first edition, I believe came out 2015. Yep. Okay, so talk about from then to what what brought you to this, release the second edition, please. Yeah, um, no, thanks so much for that question. The um, the first edition was written over a three-year period. And my co-author, Terry Erbacher, uh, she and I actually worked together. We met in Philadelphia working on the world's first public arts suicide prevention mural. Mm. Um, it was an 18-month project. There were over 1,000 people involved. Um, and it was this phenomenal project that took suicide prevention outside of the office and into the community. And we engaged firefighters and emergency workers and social workers and people who had lost loved ones to suicide, including my co-author, Terry, um, whose, whose father died by suicide. She called me one day and she said, hey, what is a good book that school-based professionals can just sort of grab off the shelf and mm. flip to a page and say, what do I do? And I said, there isn't one. And she said, well, do you want to write one? And I was like, not by myself. She's like, let's do it together. <laughs> so so we, we spent a few years pulling this together and we, we pulled together all the best practices and we pulled together our own practice wisdom and our experiences. Um, and uh, after three years, the book had sold so well that the publisher said, do you want to do a second edition? So we started working on it and then the pandemic hit and the pandemic changed everything for schools. 
Mm -hmm. right? Suddenly kids were sitting at home. Mm. Parents were at home with their kids. If you had a suicidal kid, it's likely that the parent was the first one to be able to, to notice and respond, not a school staff member. And so it mm. totally shifted the dynamics. Schools had to learn how do we do suicide risk assessments online? Mm. What do you do if a parent says, I'm worried about my kid? Does the school have any authority to go into a parent's home? Right. Mm -hmm. If it's COVID and you're worried about people getting sick and dying, do you physically go into somebody's home? Mm -hmm. If you don't want to, if you don't want people to go to the hospital because you have people dying of COVID, where do you go? Right. So there are all of these questions um, about how to work with suicidal youth remotely. Mm -hmm. That as a as a society and as a profession, we had not addressed well, and so we put a pause on it. We. Uh, spent the next year or two really understanding the best practices for addressing suicide online, particularly in schools. And we also waited to get some of the data. What was the data about the pandemic and suicide? Mm -hmm. um, and we finally have some data. In fact, uh, last week, the CDC released the 2022 data. I know it seems like a long time ago because <laughs> we're almost at 2024, but the CDC just released 2022 data. And what it showed was there was actually an 18% decrease in youth suicide deaths in 2022 compared to the previous year, which mm. was huge. Um, and so we were able to include, we, we couldn't include the numbers from 2022. Um, in our book because it was published before then uh, or sent to the publisher. But we we updated our suicide prevention policies and protocols. We uh, updated our suicide risk assessment, our suicide monitoring, our screening forms, our safety planning tool. Um, we did all of these things so that uh, school personnel could grab the book off the shelf and have the most updated resources possible. Mm, interesting, interesting. Now, um... Let's talk a little bit about your uh, award-winning uh, Trailblazing podcast. So <laughs> you, you just recently, and congratulations, by the way, on being uh, installed as a social work pioneer. For those that, so um, don't, that don't know, um, NASW National Association of Social Workers and the NASW Foundation, um, every year, I believe, and you can correct me if I'm not mm -hmm. correct. That's though, true. Every year they recognize social workers who've been in the field and made a significant contribution to the profession um, over an extended period of time. And so Dr. Singer was recognized as a social work pioneer specifically because to my knowledge, and, and I'm sure that's why he became a pioneer, he was the first social worker, and I know I mentioned this earlier, but I want Dr. Singer to talk about the path to this. He was the first social worker in the United States and maybe even globally to start a podcast about social work to educate the public, but to also to be a tool for social workers. How did you get from gra graduating from you know social work school to becoming a social work pioneer being the first? Yeah. Um, so first of all, uh, being honored as an NASW pioneer is just, it's still a little unreal. Um, you know, when I was at the um, induction ceremony, there were social workers who were doing social work um, in the 1960s. Mm. 
right? They were adults. They were making a difference. They were there, um, you know, fighting on the front lines, um, the civil rights movement. They were addressing issues that are still present today. And they were being, they were in their nineties and they were being honored. Right. And so here I am, I'm, I'm in my fifties, um, also being honored. It was really a humbling experience. Um, but the, the social work podcast came about, uh, and it was, it was the first social work podcast in the world. Now there, my understanding is that there, um, there was a radio show in Scotland that mm. started in 2004 um, for social workers and that you could listen to it online, but it wasn't a podcast. Right. Mm. And I think you, you and I are in the biz. We understand there's a difference yes. between like an on-air radio show and a podcast. Mm. Right. Yes. Um, and so I was teaching a practice theories course at the university of Pittsburgh during my doctoral program. And as I was going through the material, I realized there was a lot of good stuff in this text that my students weren't able to understand because they weren't yet practicing. Mm. There's stuff that doesn't make sense. The, the importance of, of, of certain practical tips, certain ways of phrasing things, ways of interpreting uh, cognitive theory, or postmodern theories in practice. It's all academic until you're doing it. And I thought, well, they're gonna leave. They're gonna give back their texts or sell them. They're not gonna have access to the library because the electronic library or the in-person library, because once they're no longer a student, that's gone. How am I gonna make sure they're able to keep the core essential information mm. after they've left? And this was in 2006 when I was thinking about this. And at that time, you had radio shows like This American Life and Fresh Air, and you had some uh, programs like Radio Lab, which were relatively new, um, that were becoming podcasts. And I was listening to them. And I thought, well, what if I record a podcast? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was able to use three sets of skills that I had. In college, I had been a radio DJ. Mm -hmm. um, out, during semester breaks, I was a party DJ. So mm -hmm. I would, I would DJ parties and <clears throat> got used to that. I'm also a musician. I'd spent time in studios, um, recording music. I'm a drummer. Um, so I was used to recording and, and seeing folks, you know, in the booth doing sound, um, production. Uh, and also during my MSW program, I was 94 to 96, I learned how to build websites. And so I could do the audio, mm -hmm. I could do the post-production, and I knew how to get it online. So I right. took those three things and I merged them into a podcast with the hope that my students, those 25 students, would um, be able to find summaries of my lectures so that when they were driving around seeing clients, when they were going to work on the bus, whatever it was that they were doing, they would be able to learn on the go. And at the end of the first semester, I was shocked to find out that there had been over 3,000 people who had shown up to the website to listen to the podcast. Wow. And I thought, well, I, there's only 25 people in my class. Who are these people? What is going on? 
And so I realized there was, there was a desire for this information. And so it, it was one of the things that inspired me to keep going. Uh, a very interesting, interesting story. So, and so, and here we are all these years later and, uh, and you've inspired so many social workers, myself included, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, and I, you know, started thinking about a podcast and I said, okay, so, you know, I do a lot of reading. So, okay, if you want to do a podcast and study other people that are doing a podcast similar to what you want to do, you know, so I started looking up social work podcasts (laughs) and I saw yours and, you know, some others and, you know, so then I started kind of getting a, a a feel for, you know, how, you know, these things are put together, but it was, it was always so amazing um, because, you know, you, you, you would pop up like all over the place, you know, <laughs> like on my social feeds, uh, NASW, uh-huh. you know, Council for Social Work <laughs> Education. I'm like, oh, wow, this is Dr. Singer, you know, he, he's doing his thing, you know? So, yeah. so, you, you, but you, you, you brought a, a level of uh, interest to the social work profession as I, I see that many of us now see that podcasting can be a tool to further do what it is that we've been called to do. So I think that's that's a as great a contribution as any that, you know, now there are more social workers saying, hey, you know, like this is something we can use. Um, Dr. Singer, that you have your podcast, so everybody can go there, but are there other ways that you'd like to um, alert people to of ways of getting in touch with you? Yeah, so, uh, you know, if you want to go to uh, Facebook, dot com forward slash sw podcast right that's the social work podcast facebook page um we post uh you know uh three or four times a week different you know inspirational quotes and and joke right it's with the idea that it's um um it's a community Mm -hmm. right and so you have a community of social workers that engage so you can go there you can always message me through that it's really easy to do that if you're not on facebook i totally understand that um uh, I'm on X or Twitter. Um, you can also email me at Jonathan at socialworkpodcast.com. If you're interested in getting the book, uh, Suicide in Schools, you can Google Suicide in Schools and Routledge, which is the publisher. It'll take you to their page. You can get it on Amazon. Um, we also have a website that we created and we're going to be um, adding more things over the next few months. It's called suicideinschools.com. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I also have my, you know, my, my professional day job. I work at Loyola University Chicago, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. which you mentioned in the beginning. Um, and so you're, you can always Google Jonathan Singer at Loyola University Chicago, and you can find my email address and send me an email um, and absolutely be happy to hear from folks. Awesome, awesome. So as we get ready to wrap up, and again, once again, ladies and gentlemen, we've been uh, having a very engaging discussion with Dr. Jonathan B. Singer, um, host of the Social Work Podcast, a, a NASW Social Work Pioneer, Professor at Loyola College. Um, and so we want to wrap things up. And I always like to leave my my guests with a few minutes at the end of each show to leave our listeners and viewers some some words of wisdom, something they can think about um, to, to, carry, to carry with them once they, you know, hear this for the first time. One of the things that I think is really important for folks to uh, keep in mind when they're thinking specifically about suicide, um, because so often when we think about suicide, we think about an individual who is suicidal. And, and absolutely, 
you know, when you're talking with somebody who's suicidal, you, you should be very focused on them. Um, but for me, one of the most important ideas is, is that if we want a world where people feel like their lives are worth living, we can't have a society that says that some lives are worth more than others. And, and I share this because we live in a society that privileges some lives more than others. We have institutions that privilege some stories more than others. We have um, educations, uh, educational programs that completely erase experiences. Um, we have, uh, you know, elementary school, middle school, high schools where certain histories are not told. And, and I think these are really important for us to remember because yes, it's important to know what to say to any individual who is suicidal. But the reason why you're talking with them is because you want to make sure you understand how and why they got there. And if you don't understand that this is a systemic and a structural issue, then you're just going to be throwing starfish back into the water, right? <laughs> One after the next. And so I want to leave people with that idea that everything that you do every day to address the inequities that we have in our society is suicide prevention work. Oh, powerful, powerful words. So and thank you for that. And so on that note, uh, we're going to wrap it up. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. Um, once again, want to thank our guest, Dr. Jonathan B. Singer. Um, he is a social work pioneer, podcast uh, forebearer for and, and, uh, and, and a guru. Um, I call the podcast Godfather. Thank you for all of your contributions to the profession, both podcasting and social work. Thank you for showing us how much power it is when those two professions merge. And on behalf of the Kelsey on the Social Work Podcast, we want to thank you so much for gracing our show with your presence today, Dr. Singer. It was an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Once again, this is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate, producer, and host of the show. You've been listening to the award-winning Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast. This and all other episodes are available on our Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, Audible, and iHeart Audio Podcast platforms, among others. The podcast is also available on our Spotify and YouTube video podcast platforms. Go to any search engine and type in Kelson on the Air in the search window to hear this show in its entirety. Please make sure to click subscribe to support our podcast. And don't forget to like, comment, download, and share. To reach us for more information, email us at info at kelson.org. That's info at kelson.org. Or to suggest future topics, log into www.kelson.org. That's www.kelson.org and fill out the share a topic form on our homepage. Thank you for tuning in. This has been a Kelson Communications production.